I love that picture. Is that you? In life, somebody asked to borrow money. Cringing. Yeah, sure. Great to see everybody. Hey, my name is Ryan, lead pastor here at Crossroads. Happy Father's Day. Very good. Happy Juneteenth Day tomorrow. Happy graduation. It's like a celebration. We, we didn't know what to do with this service, quite honestly. We were like, I don't know. There's just so much. We got to get into this, you know. So it's great to be. We're actually uh, launching a series that's perfect for a holiday. Um, <laughs> but it's only two weeks. So, you know, it's all right. We're, it's going to be fun. Uh, you know, it is actually, I was thinking to myself, this might be bad timing. I don't know. It might be good timing. We'll see what happens here as we're going to be talking about money and giving and generosity and that stuff. Um, we thought, oh, it's Father's Day. We were supposed to kind of do this a couple weeks ago, and we had to change some things. So I thought, that's all right. We're going to do this. But here's the thing. I was thinking about this. I don't know if you've heard the news or not, but uh, there's like a lot of fear out there right now about money in our world right? Like, especially in America, right? I mean, there's just, there's talk of recession, interest rates are going up. I, I had to meet with somebody because I didn't know, like, I don't, I don't understand how, like, raising the interest rates going to, like, stop inflation. I didn't understand any of that stuff, you know? So I just, I, but like, it, people are losing their minds about money. And so I thought, just now, I was like, maybe this isn't bad timing, because there's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of talk out there. And what do we do when it comes to money and how does it control us? It's really quite a, an interesting space and moment in our history that kind of exemplifies the power that money has on our lives, right? So we're going to do two weeks on what we're calling courageous generosity. Can I just get a woo? <laughs> so listen, if you're a guest today and you say, all they do is talk about money at church, I guess so. I don't know. We don't really talk about it a whole lot. We probably should talk about it more because it does have a grip on our lives. But today we're going to start this two weeks on financial generosity. And I just want to say a couple of things right off the bat. Number one, I do not work on commission. Okay? So whether whatever happens, just know that. I'm not, I'm not working for a bonus here. There's none of that, all right? Um, and I, I want to talk about this idea of giving because I actually don't mind talking about giving because I love giving personally. I love it. I love giving. I think giving is so powerful. Giving is actually a big part of my whole spiritual journey, and, and really, it, it's changed my life. Generous people in my life have changed my life, have gotten me through times and seasons of life that we didn't know how we were going to get through. And then we've been able in our lives to grow in the grace of giving. And so I'm sharing with you something that I love. I love to give. I love to give to our church. I love to give to ministries that are doing good work, that are in alignment with values that I share, my wife and I share. We love that. Like, I want to be a generous person. One of the things I love to do is I love to be able to give like a big old tip at a restaurant. Does anybody else like to do that? Raise your hand. Isn't that fun? Like, I just think that's so much fun to like tip 100%. You know, and that's easy to do when I go to McDonald's. I'm just like, no problem at all. Bruce, Chris, I don't know about how generous I want to be on that one, you know. But I love that feeling, right? I love that feeling of being able to know that I have no idea what's going on in that wait staff's person's life, 
But there's just a little nudge by the universe, a nudge by the Spirit of God that says, hey, be a blessing in their life. And I love that. And sometimes it's like, I don't know how I'm going to be. We're going to do it anyway. And you can get out of there and you just walk away. I love it. But my story of giving has not always been that way. So here's, here's a little bit. You want to hear my story of giving? You're going to. doesn't matter if you want to or not. It's my time. We locked the doors. We're receiving a second offering today. So no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. So here's kind of my, my like our family's personal journey of, of giving. So we, we moved to New England fresh out of our under, undergraduate school, moved out to the Boston area for graduate school. And overnight, we had about $15,000 in debt, like zero. We had zero debt. I had no undergraduate debt. We rented a U-Haul, rented an apartment just outside of Boston. As you can imagine, Boston real estate's a little bit more expensive than Springfield, Missouri. And we didn't have any money. So it just went on a credit card. And so we just immediately overnight went from like zero debt to about 15,000. This is like 25 years ago, right? $15,000 debt. Then went to graduate school. And while I was in graduate school, I'm working at a church little part-time gig, doing some music, doing uh, youth ministry. And you can imagine that pays really well, you know. <laughs> Still consistent story in, you know, youth ministry. You know, I'm sorry, it just is what it is. And, and I remember thinking to myself, like, we're broke, we're poor, we're working for the church, we're underpaid, like, people are tithing to the church so I can get a little bit of a paycheck, and we didn't tithe. Tithing, by the way, is this idea of giving 10% of your income. And I was kind of fine with that. I slept fine at night. Right? I just never thought much about it. I was like, I work for the church. This is how we function. And this is, so it was kind of, and we would give at times. There would be this or that. But it wasn't like a systematic, regular thing. And then one time, right, there was this, this moment in our, in the history. I graduated from grad school. And then, so we went from like starting grad school at about $15,000 in debt. That rose while in grad school to now like $85,000 in debt, which by the way, my graduate degree will be paid for this January. Yeah, thank you very much. I feel like I can actually hang the diploma on the wall then. Then it's actually mine. I feel like they can come and take it back anytime. I don't know. But so, like, we just kind of grew in debt, right? And, and, and we're just kind of, like, scared all the time. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to pay this? What is it going to do? And then all of a sudden, we were in church, the church I was working at, and there was a guest speaker who came and really talked about this idea of tithing and generosity. And Wendy and I both just felt this nudge, like, wait a second. Like, maybe we've been thinking about this wrong maybe we've been thinking about this wrong. And so we like talked and we said, I think we should move out and do this. Like we, and we didn't know what we were, like we were getting ready to have our first baby. We had just bought a house that we couldn't afford, 2006, what's up? Those of you, like, just doom was on the way. Like that's a whole other story, right? So we bought this old house in Haverhill, Massachusetts. You can't go wrong in real estate in Massachusetts, they told me at the time they were wrong, you know. And so we're in this mess in general, and we just felt this nudge that we were in leadership in the life of a church. I started to kind of rethink through how I understood this idea of tithing and working for the church and what kind of a person I wanted to be and what kind of a church I wanted to be a part of. And so Wendy and I gathered our, we had a small group of people that we met with every week and we did youth ministry with, and we just said, we feel like God's just kind of put on our heart to start tithing. We don't know how we're going to do it because we weren't like giving regularly. We would just give it moments and opportunities. And we just said, we're going to do it. We're going to just do it one day. And we did. We set up automated giving through our bank, so we never thought about it, and it just happened. And here's the thing. 
like, there were times where, like, I had to call the church, and I was like, that check that's showing up, could you hold that for uh, maybe three days? <laughs> right, but here's the thing. In 25 years now, we've done automated tithing, and we've just grown and grown and grown. And here's, here's what's fascinating about it. Like, I have so much peace in my life about money that I've ever had before I ever started to give. And it was like all of a sudden it became addictive in our lives, like the opportunities to look and see and find. And we've gone through like house not selling, short sale house, like what are we going to do? We've gone through massive amounts of debt. We've gone through like let's buy the 100-year-old home that has old like knob and tube electricity. We didn't even know what that was at the time. Have to replace it, like all this stuff, massive financial problems. I'm not a believer in if-then spirituality. I never won the lottery. I'm not a millionaire, none of that stuff. But what has happened in our lives is we have found the joy of giving. We found this real power in what it means to look for opportunities to be able to meet a need. And it's been exciting for us. And I want to be a generous person. And, and as we grew in that, I started realizing not everybody's like me. <laughs> that some people have had really bad experiences in church when it comes to this idea of giving. Don't raise your hand, but I want to honor that for just a moment. If you have had a bad experience, you have felt manipulated, you have felt like the Bible verse has been used over you to avoid a curse in your life financially, I want to honor that that happens and that that is not of God. And if that's you today, I want to hear you say, I, want, I just want you to hear me very clearly. I believe in the principle of generosity in that it has sustained me spiritually as I've doubted and questioned a lot of things about God in my relationship with the universe. So here's what I want to say to you. If you've had a really bad experience when it comes to church and manipulation and the Bible and scripture verses and giving, what I'm saying today, anything that I talk about giving to a local church, you take the same principle and give it someplace else, okay? Because it's the principle that I think is valuable in our lives. Whether you give to Crossroads or whether you give to the Humane Society, whatever it might be, I'm not, I, that's, that's something, if you've had a bad experience with church, I want to honor that, okay? So everybody just go, breathe a little bit, okay, in this whole experience. Now, for those of us that follow Jesus, I am going to talk about what does it mean to be a generous person and thinking in terms of our church. Because here's what I've learned about generosity. Are you ready for it? Are you ready? I want to check out this side over here. Are you ready? Have you ever heard that statement, everybody wants to die? Or everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Y'all ever heard that? Here's the thing. I've never met a person that says, I want to be greedy. No, I meet all kinds of people. I want to be thought of as generous. But none of us really want to do what it takes to be that generous person. Think of your most valuable possession. I show up at your house today. I say, hey, can I borrow that for a day or two? Like you immediately just cold sweats. I don't know what it is. Right? But you and I, we have stuff that we value and there's, there's, we always have that point, but if there's this side of us that nobody says, I want to be stingy, greedy, worry about money my whole life, not be able to sleep at night when I put my head on the pillow, right? But in fact, most of us are like my friend Vinny. We'll call him Vinny because that's his name. When I talk about people, I like to talk about him, you know? I don't hide it. No, Vinny's a, an interesting character. He was, um, 
He had teenagers when Wendy and I were doing youth ministry, and they were on our team, and he owned this landscaping business, and he just bought this massive house in the town that we lived in. We lived in this town, bedroom community just north of Boston. This was in like, two, think of like 2000, early 2000s. It was like right at the start of the Tom Brady era. You know, I remember that very specifically because the first time Tom won the Super Bowl, his first Super Bowl, I was at their house watching it. And uh, you couldn't buy a lot of land to build a house on that wasn't, it was $500,000 just to build a little tiny lot of land to build a house on. And he had, they had bought this really beautiful home in the community. Living, and we're, we're unpacking him, we're moving stuff in, just like many of you were doing with me. Thank you so very much, by the way, this weekend. And uh, I remember sitting there, I'll never forget this moment. And Vinny looked at me, he says, I just need to get a million dollars in the bank. And he starts talking about this million dollars, how that's going to fix everything, million dollars. And I looked right at him, I said, Vinny, and I said, God is never going to give you a million dollars. You can imagine that didn't make Vinny very happy. Well, what do you mean? I said, Vinny, I don't have any idea how much money you have in your bank account, but I, it's clearly not a million dollars. Look at how much you worry about whatever is there. Why would God curse you with more? Why would God curse you with more money to worry about, right? Because in his world, it was always about getting and money, and if I don't have it, and that's where my security is going to be. And that's the principle that we kind of all live in. Are you familiar with the hashtag blessed t-shirts? And if you have a hashtag blessed t-shirt, I am going to offend you right now. If you're watching online and on your refrigerator, there's a hashtag blessed magnet. I'm going to offend you, okay? okay? Right? It's just happening. Just, it's just going to happen. So just take a deep breath and get ready for it, all right? The hashtag blessed, right? You know what I'm talking about. Something good happens, blessed, right? Now, when I say, oh, I'm blessed, or when you hear somebody say, I'm blessed, what do you immediately think of? What happens in your head, right? We immediately do what? We think of the good in our lives, right? Not a bad thing. That's just what we do. The word blessing, the word blessed tends to be associated with good stuff, right? Rarely do we walk through a really bad circumstance and be like, I'm just so blessed to be broke. Just so blessed to have lost my job yesterday. Hashtag blessed. No. We think of good health and good relationships. We think of good finances. Oh, I just got the good job, right? We rarely think of the challenges in life as a blessing. And if we do, what do we call them? Like if you're a really super spiritual person, overly toxic, right? <laughs> That was deeply offensive. I'm sorry. I should not have said that. It was coming out, and I was like, oh, that's going to cost me. <laughs> right? But here's the thing. What do we say? Oh, it, it's just a blessing in disguise. You're like, no, it's not. <laughs> like that, no, it's not. And it's important that we kind of consider all of our language around blessing, because because there can be some toxic things that happen when everything's just a blessing, and, and this is how God works. And I have another friend who, like, everything worked out for them, and they sold these homes, and they made all this money, and it's like, oh, God's just been so good to me. And you have to ask yourself the question, well, what does that mean for the millions of people on the planet that are struggling for their meal the next day? Is God not good to them? We have a really bad theology around this stuff. How many of you all saw the movie The Eyes of Tammy Faye? Okay, you all stay. Everybody else, oh, you get to stay, John. You get to keep staying. You know, year 29, they're keeping, you know. Right, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, if you haven't watched it, you got to go watch it. It's a really, really brilliantly done movie. 
story of Tammy Faye and Jim Baker and the scandal that came through PTL, all that stuff. If you don't know anything about it, don't watch it, right? But if you're like me, you grew up in the church and they were like at the height of like craziness, right? But here's the thing. There's this scene in the movie where Jim Baker is in prison and his wife, Tammy Faye, she comes to visit him and they're signing divorce papers. Like the empire has fallen apart. Everything is being exposed, right? And there's this really powerful moment where and it's very, very authentic. Like Jim Baker is sitting there in prison. He's signing, he's talking to her. And he starts to think about all the messaging that they said. And he makes this statement, something to this effect. He said, when we were telling people that God wanted them to be prosperous, do you think we were telling poor people that God didn't love them? I was like, I'm glad I watched that movie for that one line. I'm going to preach that one day. Well, here's one day. And he was so genuine, like, because there is this tension between Bible verses that seem to say you're the head and not the tail, right? Don't seem to say it, they say it, <laughs> right? And there's these Bible verses that produce kind of if-then spirituality, if I do this, then God does this. But reality doesn't live up to that. So as we consider that, let me ask you another question, right? Did Jesus live the Western culture hashtag blessed life? Whatever you might know of Jesus, right? Let's say you're not in your first time ever in here around church tuning in. You're not sure how you ended up here, but your TV won't change. I don't know, right? But you know this guy Jesus came, and what you know of Jesus, he was punished, died on a cross, right? Some people believe he's alive still. Some people don't. Didn't have any money. Was kind of this itinerant guy walking around. Like, does our image of blessings and the favor of God match the life of Jesus? Like, some of you are shaking your head right now. Like, Ryan, that's the dumbest question you've ever asked us. Like, does this image of Jesus make any sense to you? <laughs> right? There's a guy in our church who drew that for me. I called him a couple weeks. I said, I need a picture of, like, goofy Jesus, like, wearing a hashtag blessed T-shirt or something. And he did that. I thought that was powerful. Right? Like, we don't, like, this doesn't make sense to us. There's some, like, spiritual dissonance to that if you're trying to follow Jesus, right? Because Jesus didn't seem to equate divine blessing, the work of the divine in our lives, with getting good things, right? That doesn't seem to be what Jesus says to us. In fact, where we find out a lot about Jesus and money is this section called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, uh, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus kind of gives this sermon. And really what Matthew has done is he's taking kind of like the heartbeat of the Jesus way. And he's like, put it together and ordered it, right? And in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus is talking to the crowd. And one thing you got to know as you read this, right? Jesus is not talking to me. An, a, a, a middle-class, white, male American. He's not who he's talking to. Jesus is talking to a group of people who have been oppressed, who have suffered, who are being exploited. They have no power. They have really lost hope in any kind of economic growth for themselves because they have just suffered under the weight of greed and power. Like, that's who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to the down and out right? Jesus is talking to the people who understand exactly what it means to be occupied, to have no voice. Taxation without representation was alive long before we got here. I mean, that's just what was happening. And these folks were oppressed by Rome. These folks were oppressed by their religious leaders. 
right? And Jesus didn't look at the people around them that were continuing to build and build and build their, their estates. Jesus didn't look at the religious leaders in their beautiful robes and gowns and walking around with everything. Jesus didn't look at them and say, look at how blessed they are. That's what we got to go for. Jesus didn't tell stories about a, a rich person coming and dropping a whole bunch of money in the offering and, and, and another poor person coming and putting just a little bit in and saying, that's what I'm talking about. You got to work harder so you can put more in. That's the blessing. No, that's not what Jesus, you know what Jesus called them? Thieves. That's what got Jesus into trouble, by the way. Like, Probably historically, what set everything in motion was when Jesus walked into the temple and he disrupted the economic systems of Rome when he turned over the tables. And he says, you've made this a den of thieves. Not a school. Not, it's not where you're taught to be a thief. It's a safe haven. It's where we come and justify our thievery. He says, that's what's happened here. And that's probably when Rome really started to pay attention to this guy, Jesus. Because you don't mess with Rome's pocketbook. And Jesus was disrupting everything because Jesus said the Sermon on the Mount, he would say things like, blessed are the brokenhearted. Blessed are the mourners. Blessed are the, the meek, the ones that are desperate for justice in their own lives, right? The ones who are merciful, the ones who have pure intentions, the peacemakers, he would say. He would say, blessed are the ones who are suffering to give justice to others. And a few verses down in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus lays the smack down. Like, this is total tweetable stuff. Like, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, why does this make sense? Because most of these people were in some sort of master-servant relationship. And so they get that language really well. And so all of a sudden he says, hold, you can't serve two. They're like, yeah, that's right. And then Jesus is like, here's the deal. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it. Now, mammon is, a, is an Aramaic word that means possessions, right? It means possessions, wealth, property. It's not just this idea of money. It's the stuff that money can amass into our lives. It's the, it's the feeling that money brings us, right? How many of y'all know you sleep a little better the more commas you might have in your bank account. I'm usually striving for one. One comma is what I go for, right? Some of us are like, yeah, I want two. Be happy with two, maybe three. But we do sleep a little bit, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus knew that possessions could easily become possessors. Jesus knew that without the right spirituality, those things that we amass, those things that provide us comfort, that they can easily become things that possess us. Now, Jesus grew up in a religious environment that had no separation of church and state. And so within the, the structure of the Israelite faith and religion, they had what was called the tithe. And, and there were lots of, the word tithe literally means 10%, right? Now, I don't want you to think that Jewish people in antiquity only gave 10% of their income to the temple, because that's not true. It's more like 37%, when you like add up all the things, right? But there was just this principle of the tithe. 10% belonged to Yahweh, their God, antiquity. That's the, that was the belief. And here's the thing. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, is this prophet in the Old Testament, and this is the verse I mean, this is the verse. You want to manipulate people into giving. Here's where it is, okay? But it's important that we look at this verse 
because this verse conveys something really important about the Jewish mindset and the mindset in antiquity in general, right? So ancient Israel believed that greed produced a curse on the land, right? So ancient Israel, this verse is teaching us, this verse is showing us post-enlightenment that there was a prevailing belief, and it wasn't just with ancient Israel. You look all throughout the ancient Near East, you know, the, your behavior towards one another, your behavior towards the gods affected how crops grew, all kinds of things. Now, Malachi says this, and this would have been very prevalent. Jesus would have known this, right? This is what it says, for I, the Lord, don't change, right? And you, sons and daughters of Jacob, you do not cease to be. You're the same as, as well. Since the days of your ancestors, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. So he says, return to me. Yahweh says, return to me that I may return to you. But you say, why should we return? And then there's this weird question. Can anyone rob God? That's what they're saying. Like, you're saying we robbed you, but how do you rob God? And the, the prophetic voice says, oh, but you are robbing God. And you keep asking, how have you robbed God? But you've robbed God of your tithes and contributions. And Malachi says, you indeed are accursed. For you, the whole nation, you robbed me. And then it says this, this is the big one. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour down upon you blessing without measure. Hashtag bless Jesus. Like that's what's gonna happen. But we don't read what it says next. It says, I will rebuke the locust for you so that it will not destroy your crops. And the vine in the field will not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, can we just pause for a second and recognize that this was before we had any kind of science, meteorology. We, we know. We know why locusts come. <laughs> we know why land doesn't yield crops. Jesus, his life honors the reality that God does not sit around going cursed, 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 blessed, blessed, blessed. But yet there's something behind this, in my humble opinion, that's very inspired and inspiring, that the prophetic voice realized that there is something about, there is some law, there's some reality that when you hold back from, the, from giving, you are actually hindering something in your life. And it's a very universal principle. And we actually see it in Jesus. Like, we have this statement of Jesus. Carlos mentioned it last week. I was like, you better not preach on that. I'm talking about that next week. I almost had to yank him last week. Acts chapter 20, we get this interesting statement, right, that Paul quotes Jesus, but we have Jesus saying it nowhere, right? Because Jesus knew something really powerful. Jesus knew that giving brought love into our lives in a powerful way. Like giving is just this invitation for love to take over. I love the quote in your program. Everybody just open up your program right now. I'm going to give you a minute without my voice. Richard Rohr, beautiful quote in there about giving. Read that little pull quote we put. I don't know if you know this or not. They're doing a great job on the program, and they put a quote in there every week. That quote usually ties in with either the theme of the day or whatever's on the front of the program, but just read that for a second. Some of you are like, I didn't even know we had a program. It's amazing. Isn't that a beautiful quote? Right? Nothing can display the measure of our ability to receive love into our lives, to give love into it, than how we handle things like money and giving. And Jesus knew it because this is what Jesus said. Right? Paul said, keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus, who himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's the key word. It's more blessed 
to give than to receive. So by that standpoint, Jesus can wear the hashtag blessed sash, right? I mean, Jesus gave everything. The blessed life is not the life of intake. The blessed life is the life of outflow. So don't miss this, right? The blessed life is the generous life. That's where we discover the power, and that's where love grips a hold of us. And I, I can tell you right now, I have been on the receiving end of generosity, and I have had times in my own life, in my own little way, to be able to be generous to others. And I can tell you right now, one makes you breathe a little bit easier, like, oh, that can't believe it's so amazing, and produces a heart of gratitude. One empowers you to think you can conquer the world. Like when you walk away from a moment where you know you were able to make a difference in some circumstance in somebody's life, where you were able to empower something, man, that just is like, I want to do it again. And then you look for the opportunities when you can, and you make different decisions around money. It's powerful. So how do we live this in our everyday normal lives, right? Okay, we got to go here. We got to go. I didn't have time this week to cut this thing down, all right? So here it is. I thought about just halfway through going, that's part one. See you next week. I would, but, but I just don't feel like that's the right thing to do. I feel it's better to give you the full experience, right? Okay, so here's the thing. Five quick points of wisdom when it comes to financial generosity. And tithing. I want to talk about tithing, particularly 10%. This is the, like the Christian spiritual discipline is tithing. And, and I honestly, I, I talk about that openly because we do it, right? I, I'm not, so I, I don't want to like hide that. I don't want to like dance around it. I want to encourage you because it, it's, it's a life-changing spiritual principle, spiritual discipline. Just like praying, just like singing worship songs. I don't understand it. I'll be honest with you, singing worship songs is really weird to me sometimes. But I do it because I know what it does to me. But we'll get to that in a second. Okay, so here we go. Number one, the universe is grounded in spiritual and physical laws. That's a bit of wisdom that I think you have to hold to. Now, if you don't believe this, take, go on up to the top of the roof and just jump. And you will learn very quickly that there are physical laws, right? Gravity is one of them. Now, here's the thing. There's a spiritual law, just like gravity is a physical law. It works every time, unless you go up to the moon, then it's different, right? But the principle of gravity is consistent. It's based in mathematics, right? I mean, we can understand it. I'm not an engineer or mathematician, but they tell me these things. I can Google just like you. But here's the thing. There's also the law of sowing and reaping. Proverbs 11.24, right? Proverbs oftentimes gives these like general principles that tend to work if you're in the upper middle class. <laughs> You'll never hear that description of Proverbs by most people, but it's true. Like th these were written for people who lived in like Proverbs works when you're in like the royal family, works all the time, right? These are general principles when you are living in kind of the middle class, right? But it's what it says, there is one who scatters and yet increases all the more doesn't make any sense. Just scatter, 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 and they increase all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in poverty, right? So there's one who scatters and scatters and scatters, and they continue to just gain. They continue to grow, but yet there's those that hold back, and they stuff it in all their pockets. They put it in their bank accounts. They put it in the ATM. And every, Do you go to the ATM anymore? Or just No, they, they deposit with their phones, Right? And yet they end up in ruin. Because here's why. Violation 
of the spiritual laws that have been ordered in our universe is just like violating the physical laws. It produces pain. There is not... I, I don't believe that there is this entity that sits on a throne somewhere out there watching, going, curse, curse, bless, bless, curse, curse, bless, bless. No, I think there is there's an ordered way to this world, and I think that the divine, that God is in all and is holding all things, and love is probably the best word we have for that right now. And, and that love, right, flows and works and moves in certain principles. It's why the, it's just like why the, the kinder you are to people, the more kindness you will receive. Spiritual law. The more sleep you get, generally, the better you feel. Physical law. It's not like if you don't sleep, God has said, I curse you with a bad attitude. No. It's not like if you don't eat, God says, I curse you with hunger pains and you'll be hangry all day till you have your Snickers. No, it's just a principle. It's a law. We can either go with the flow or not. Now, ancient Israel, antiquity, still parts of the world, they call it a curse. That's the word for it. That's the word for it. But it's just, it, it, some people, the wrath of God is oftentimes what it's called in Scripture, like the Bible word for this kind of living into and against the flow of love is kind of the wrath of God. Some call it karma. Y'all like karma? Is that a good word? That's a good word. Karma's everybody's like, oh yeah, she's a, well, we're not going to say that, but yeah. Right, karma, I get it, right? Violate the law of gravity? You're not cursed. <laughs> You're probably going to get hurt though. You're going to experience some pain. Paul says it like this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself. God is not mocked. All right, now again, Got to go pre-enlightenment to post-enlightenment world. Love is not tricked. <laughs> the universe is not bamboozled. Whatever a person sows, they're going to reap. Whoever sows to the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit, the one who sows to love, sows to God, they will reap eternal life from the spirit. They'll reap this abundant life. Don't necessarily hear eternal life as like, oh, I get to go to heaven, right? Right? Think of eternal life as a, a type of life that starts right now that you live in. I used to say this all the time. This is what I used to say when I talked about giving. I used to say, obedience unleashes the power of God in your life. No matter where it is, whether it's the way you treat your spouse, your children, whether, how, how you handle finances, obedience unleashes the power of God in our lives. Now, I don't use that anymore because that, is, that, that language can be manipulated and say, well, what do I obey? I obey you. I obey your version of the Bible. I so I don't use that word anymore because there's been so much religious manipulation. But I think there's a principle behind it that's true. Think about your own children. When your children obey you, are you like more prone to like do nice things? Oh, you all are liars. You're trying to tell me you have the same motivation towards your children when they disobey you and talk back to you as when they have like come home, you come home and they've like done all the dishes, clean the house, right? They've done all their homework. You're like, what would you like, right? Yeah, that's how, that, that, that's the principle, right? Now, again, I'm not a moral theist. So I don't think God's as foolish as we are to let circumstances change the way we love people, right? But it's that principle. So here's what I like to say, at least starting today, right? 
Walking in the flow of love aligns us with the power of love. Right? You want to experience love in this world. You walk with it. You don't walk against it because love will roll you over. Love conquers all. And see, that's why some people experience the love of God as hell and some people experience it as heaven. The fire of God can often be experienced as love and heaven and joy and peace, but that love can also be experienced as torment. You start walking in the flow of it, man, that's where it's at. Okay, so that's, okay, number two. These next ones go faster. Number two. No, they don't. Okay, number two. Good things happen to stingy people and bad things happen to generous people. Can I get an amen from all the stingy people? <laughs> I was trying to trick you. Some of you are like, yeah, ooh, got me there. Here's the thing. If then spirituality is, it's just, it's, 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 it, it, it takes you down a bad road, okay? Scripture gives us this beautiful, very inspired passage. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Now, I didn't really understand that when I was younger because I thought, who wants rain? <laughs> I'm telling you what, if you live in the Mediterranean basin and you're trying to grow crops, you want rain. That's a blessing. You live here in Colorado. You want rain, right? What the passage is saying is that like these blessings, these good things, they hit everybody. Doesn't matter. Sorry. And you all know it. You've met people. Yeah, they have so much stuff. You're like, why? Why them? Why them? They're the worst. Why? Why not me, God? So I just always say like, just own it. Like there, it's not if then spirituality. Right? So we just have to recognize it. You become a generous person, I've got, I don't know what's going to happen in your life. I have any idea. I meet very generous people who have cancer. I meet very generous people who don't have cancer. I meet horrible, horrible attituded people. That's my nicest way to say not good people. But I believe everybody ultimately is good. But, but there still is good flowing through them. Like it's just, it's just a reality. So we have to own that in this, and we don't go into being generous. We don't, do not go into giving, tithing as an if-then spiritual principle, because it doesn't work. It's not a solution to a problem. I've always, I've always said this, Jesus is not a solution to a problem. He's the Savior of the world. <laughs> Those are two very different things. If you come and think about Jesus as a solution to your marital problem, your financial problem, your relationship, whatever it might be, it will fail, Jesus will fail you every time. But if you recognize and honor the way of Jesus as a rescue, as a salvation from the lies and the deceptions and the pain of this world, well, that will never fail you. Because there's just bad stuff that happens to good people. Because there's bad choices in the world that have an overflow, a water flow effect. It's called sin. They wound. Okay, number three. A little bit of wisdom for you. All spiritual habits are for your spiritual good. Every one of them. The universe does not need you to read your Bible. The universe doesn't need you to be here at church right now. Some of you are like, I don't even need to be here. It's Father's Day. I'm talking about giving. and me out of here. But they transform us. So I engage in a lot of spiritual habits these days that right now I'm in a season in my spiritual life. I have no idea if they work. <laughs> I struggle a lot with prayer these days, just to be real honest with you. I do it. I do it because Jesus seemed to think it was important, so I do it. <laughs> I, I, praise and worship is one of those things, too. Like, I love music, but there's something weird to me about, like, some of the songs we sing. 
but I do it. <laughs> not because they're perfect, but because I know it gets, it's good for me to remember that I'm not alone in the universe. It's good to remember that there is good. There is this ultimate good that's present, and, and my words don't have to be perfect. And giving is one of those spiritual habits. Tithing as a Christian is one of those spiritual habits that just changes us. It shapes our way of thinking and seeing the world. It's no different than anything else except that giving has this very corporate component to it. Like it is a fuel for the body of Christ as a faith community. It's not just personal. But ultimately, the, the habit of generosity, the tithing, this is about you. And I think the beauty of these disciplines is they're given to us out of the goodness of the universe. Like these are habits that we see in a lot of faith traditions because we know that they shape and make us into good human beings. Good human beings who are able to discern the spirit of God at work in the world. Here's number four. You're going to love this. Tithing, the 10% principle. Again, 10% principle, that, that kind of Christian tradition. It can transform and it can also ruin your life your spiritual life, that is. I'm serious. Like, you got to be really careful about this because here's what happens. It'll transform your life because I really do believe the ultimate, like, reality of in, what, what I would call intentional percentage-based 10% giving, that principle, is that it just reshapes your whole view of money and life, and you just, you, you, you just think differently about it. It just transforms. I mean, I see it over and over and over again. But here's, it can also ruin your life because I've seen it ruin people's life too, right? Because that tradition of bringing 10% is grounded, it's grounded in a law, an ancient law. And when all of a sudden tithing moves from this joy, moves from this courageous moment where it's like, oh, I'm going to do it 10%. I don't know. I got this and this and I don't know. But I'm just going to trust that this is the way the universe is wired and my Christian faith tradition says start here and I'm going to go for it and I'm going to live this out. Whew, it's like scary. It's kind of like going to, you know, hitting the gas on something quick and, you know, like getting jerked around. It's like, whoa, what's going to happen? But what happens when it, the moment it moves to law, the moment it becomes, well, I fulfilled the law. Look at me. And the moment we stop, you're done. You're toast spiritually. That's it. Game over. Wonderful. Great to have you. Please continue to do it. But when it comes to like experiencing the universe, God, love, and powerful ways, when 10% becomes the destination and you're like, I've been there. 15 years. I've been 15 years. You've, all, you've never changed in 15 years. You've 10% the number? Is that really how love works? I hope that you don't love people the same way you did 10 years ago. I hope that your reading level, that your experience of like truth is different than 10 years ago. Yet somehow when tithing becomes, we just, I'm, I'm not tall, I'm not sure a Christian, look what I do, I give a 10%. It'll ruin you spiritually. It will ruin you. So you got to be careful. You got to see it as a starting point. You cannot see it as a destination. I really believe that or else it'll do the exact opposite. You'll just, I feel, it's duty. It's my duty. Did my duty. It's done. It's done. No joy, no growth. And it's always about growing in love. Always, everything, right? Okay, number five, courageous generosity is about constant growth in giving. So that's tied into this number fourth principle. So what we're calling, what I'm calling courageous generosity is this commitment to always growing. 
Anybody hike in Colorado here? Hike the mountains? Anybody like to hike? Anybody at all? A few of you like to hike? Some of you do, some of you don't. So we came here. Never really done much hiking before. Uh, first hike I ever did was not Long's Peak. Wasn't. The first hike I did, I think, was Devil's Backbone, right? Which was scary in and of itself because they were like, watch out for the rattlesnakes. I was like, the what? Yeah, watch out for the Don't take your dog in the afternoon. Well, I'll take Wendy's dog in the afternoon. I'll tell you that much. I will tell you that much. I will take that dog in the afternoon and unleash it. Go find the rattlesnake. <laughs> I'll do that in a heartbeat. Roman, no way. I'm not taking that dog. Roman's my best friend. Only thing that understands me in this world. <laughs> That's saying something, right? Like that, but that was it, right? I mean, nothing, nothing fancy. Just getting a little elevation, acclimation. You know, that was the first one. You know, I might have done one other hike, and then I got roped into doing this 14er in the middle of winter. About died. But there's just growth. Last summer, we did, I think it was last summer, we did Long's Peak, a group of us. <laughs> Man, that was scary. But that's not where you start, right? So courage looks different for everybody, right? Like for me, the first hike, that was, it took a little bit of courage. Now, no, no problem. Long's Peak, first time I was watching everything I could, freaking out about this whole thing. Now it's like, well, I'd probably do it again. Right, so courage is about like taking these leaps and growth, right? So here's the, here's, the, here's the challenge for all of us. Here's the invitation for you, for me. Will you be courageous this summer and just take a courageous step in your giving journey? I don't know what that is. I have no idea what that is, but here's the thing. If you've never given, if you've never given to support your church. You've never given it. Now, let me just talk very specifically to those of you that would say, Crossroads is my church. I'm following Jesus. I really don't like that you're talking about this, but I'm here, okay? Now, remember, for those of you that have had a bad experience in a church and there's a real trauma there, just take what I'm going to say, and every time I might say Crossroads or your church, say to a nonprofit that you believe deeply in some good cause, all right? Because the principle's the same. I just think as followers of Jesus, this is where we're called to offer our primary giving. So here's the thing. If you've never given before, would you, your courage, courageous step might be to become an irregular giver. That's what I call. <laughs> an irregular giver. You just say, you know, I'm going to give a few times this summer. <laughs> See how I feel about it. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's a lot of courage for you. I don't know. Maybe you kind of give irregularly. Maybe you're kind of a person who give when you tune in, right? Or you give when you're here. I want to encourage you to become an intentional giver. So make it as a part of your life. I'm going to give, whenever I get paid, an intentional gift. And that might be a 1%. might be 2%. It might not take any courage off you to jump right to, and I always do encourage people this, just go right to the tithing. Just do 10%. Live it out. Test the universe. I think it's a cool principle, honestly. See how you experience love differently. See how you're opened up to, to love in this world. So, so for you, the courageous step may be to like, I'm just going to become a tithing giver. I'm just going to do that. Every time. I'm going I'm to see myself as a steward of resources in this world, and I want it to flow through me. And then I'm calling this fourth, this fourth courageous one. This is a big one. A peacemaking giver. A peacemaking giver. And a peacemaking giver gives to three things, right? We give to now, that's the tithe, 10% now, what we're doing as a church. We give to need, 
That's our Partners in Hope strategy. That's where we give to need around the world, in our community. We give money outside of the organization. We raise money. We just had this beautiful evening where we raised $72,000 to invest in peacemaking initiatives around the community, around the world. And we still have 30, I think it's like, we still have $40,000 in a matching fund that for every dollar we raise over the next year, it releases another dollar. So every dollar you give to Partners in Hope for the next year becomes two. You, you all would, I, like if I were telling you I had a stock right now that did that, you'd be like, where's the money? 100% return on my investment? Right, that's the, so we, like, we have the potential this year to release $140,000 post, like middle of COVID nonsense still financially as a church. Let's just be honest, it ain't good. <laughs> we have a generous church, that's amazing. That's the potential. And there's so much joy in that. So much joy in getting to do that. And then we give to next. That's like the, the adventure's worth it, kind of the year-end giving. What's next for our church? What needs a little bit of money infused into it? Now, here's the thing. If we courageously give, we're going we're gonna to see a couple of things happen in our lives. Like this, I believe, true. like God uses, the universe uses, love uses, whatever words you want to use. It uses financial generosity to break the power of greed and anxiety. I know no other way to do it. I know no other way to break the power of greed and anxiety over money than to give it away. I'm telling you, you want to walk into the next recession? You want to walk in watching your like stocks plummet and freaking out? You want to know how to do that and to sustain it and not be screaming at your family and worrying about what's going to happen in 10 years? You start giving money away. Because when you give it away, you're just like, like, <laughs> you're just like, pulling it off of you. It's like got this hold on you. And it's like it rips and it hurts. You know what I'm saying? It's like this like alien has grabbed your face and sucking the life out of you. And for some reason, we're like, I need more of this. Put another one here and another one here. And the only way to get rid of it is to just rip it off and throw it away. See, that's not where my hope is found. That's not where my peace is found. It came once, it'll come back. That's the only way to do it. Another thing that happens when we live this out, God, the universe, whatever, right? Like, just, it, it's, it's so powerful because here's the thing. When we start to live that, you start pulling that stuff out, right? You start giving it away. You start giving it away to things you care about, hopefully your church, right? You know what happens? Here's just the truth of it. God uses financial generosity to power our church, it, it, I mean, I just hate to say it, but that's what happens. Like, we can have ministries, we can have staff that, that lead great, great programs. Our kids, we can, we can do stuff in the community, like Partners in Hope. Like, it's just how it works. It's how our tradition is set up. This, by the way, does not work without the principle of tithing. We got to go to a whole new model. That's okay. Nothing wrong with it. But this model is based on this idea. It's so powerful. And it just releases it. it you know, if every, if every family just tithed 10%, we'd have more resources than we would know what to do with. The impact that we could have in our community around the world would blow your mind. It's powerful. I just want to, I mean, that's just the truth of it. You can get mad at me for saying it. You can feel, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just saying this model works when it works, right? It doesn't work when you get greedy people in leadership, stealing money, using people, offering miracles if you give. I'm not offering any, I'm, none of that's garbage. But I will say this, it's true. When we're generous with our church, man, we can do some fun stuff together. We can do some stuff that changes the world. It's powerful. Okay, now here we go. 
Last thing. This is cool. I love it. Financial generosity. It's the fast track. I believe it. It's the fast track to living a Jesus-centered, blessed life. The Jesus way of a blessed life. It's the fast track, right? It's a life, the blessed life that Jesus would say is a life where our spiritual and material resources, they flow through me to others. That that's just what I am. I'm just this conduit. I'm just conduit for generosity. Now, I want to invite Rich Stein. Rich is going to come up and close us out today. And he's going to share his story of, I forget how you title it, like accidentally learning about tithing, right? Something like that. It's really great. So uh, do me a favor. Welcome Rich. Give him a great big hand. And unlike me, Rich is not paid to be here, all right? So we got to throw that out there. Yeah, and I tell you all to be careful if you're having lunch with Ryan. You never know if you'll end up up here. I know. Let me see if I can turn this on. Oh, I think our battery might have died. So I'm going to just grab this mic right here, okay? How about this? There you go. Perfect. My name is Rich Stein. I've been coming to Crossroads with my wife here for a couple years now, and I'd like to talk about how I learned to tithe by accident. In a few weeks, I'll be a septuagenarian. Uh, did I stump you? But I'm not here to talk about what happened 70 years ago, but 50 years ago, last January, when I reached that anniversary of becoming a Christian. What I'd like to be specific about is an excerpt from my testimony that's come up at one of the lunches I have occasionally with Ryan. I was a 19-year-old Jewish kid from the north side of Chicago, attending a neighborhood college that was close to my house. It happened to be North Park, which is part of the Covenant Church. After accepting Christ in January 72, I had no idea what was next. However, a friend of mine from English class had an idea. He told me that he taught junior church at one of the northern suburb churches and asked me to come out and help. He was straight up with me. He said, you've been to Hebrew school, but not Christian Sunday school. So why don't you come out with me on Sundays and help? Then you can learn right along with the kids, and besides, we get paid. I said, okay, because I knew Havanagila, but not Jesus loves me. I did that for several months until junior church lit out for the summer, and I began going to the regular church service. Sitting there at my first service, I watched as they passed these brass offering plates. I saw many envelopes, lots of checks, and a little bit of cash. I had either two fives or two tens in my pocket, so I put one on the plate as it came by. Didn't think much about it at the time, until a bit later in the service, they passed these straw baskets. These straw baskets were for something called a deacon's offering. This time, there were a few checks and mostly cash. When the basket got to me, I didn't feel it was right to make change, so I put the other bill in. Well, now I'm broke. I then told myself that I needed to find out how much to put in the plate. I found my friend John, who'd been one of the people that led me to Christ, and told him the story. When he stopped laughing, I asked him how much am I supposed to put in the offering plate. He said, you're supposed to tithe. And I said, what's that? He said, you're a Jew and you don't know what tithing is? My response was that, you know that I was a Jew in name only, so what gives? John says you're supposed to put in 10% of your income. I said, 10% of the net or 10% of the gross? He quickly responded, what do you want to be blessed on, the net or the gross? So from that day forward, I began tithing as I thought everyone did. It wasn't until later that I learned of the 80-20 percentages of churchgoers that do and don't tithe. 
Even before Karen and I got married, I asked if she tithed, and she told me, ever since I started babysitting. Now for the tricky part. What blessings have we received? We don't believe in the prosperity gospel of giving money to get money, but we give as a responsibility of our relationship with Jesus and the church. As you've heard from up here many times, money doesn't rain down to cover the expenses of this place. It's through our stewardship of time, talents, treasures, that salaries, expenses, and the mortgage are covered, as well as the regular outreach. So this doesn't take forever. I'd like to cover the blessing basics first. Ryan has asked me to get a bit more personal than I normally do with this story. After only 12 dates over 17 months, Karen and I were married and it's been 49 years. I've been fired from my job twice but never missed a day's work. Money is something we never fight about, but there have been times when it's been on the edge. Our belief is that we just gotta do it. We've all heard that it's more blessed to give than to receive, but if we take time to think about it on a regular basis, we then ask ourselves, what if? We did that once. We sat and discussed how much we'd have if we didn't tithe. The outcome of that conversation was that we should count our blessings and not think about the what if. Life is not without trials, furnaces, roofs, home and car repairs. They all have to be budgeted and managed, sometimes even postponed or done by us. We have two daughters, both with advanced seminary degrees, one from Regent College in British Columbia, an alum with Dennis, and the other from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. The former is a church pastor in Canada. We have four grandchildren. We've had three good careers. Karen became a mainframe systems engineer with IBM, and at the age of 50, went back to school and became an estate planning and elder law attorney. She now serves on the trustee board of North Park Uni University where we met. For me, I dropped out of college in my junior year and became a machinery installer called a millwright. When I started, I was earning four and a quarter an hour and no benefits. With our first house in escrow and Karen not working yet, I was fired for the first time. Perhaps we were gifted as eventually I became a foreman, then superintendent, then project manager, and eventually an engineer. Although officially retired, I still design and implement automated warehouses. My skill sets evolved and I was able to help project manage and build a church in Northern California from the ground up, coincidentally named Crossroads Covenant Church. And now for the miracles. We moved to Northern Colorado in 2017, but the next couple of years, there were events that cast doubts on the timeline of our lives, and would we still have them? Prayers were offered from all over from our families, friends, and coworkers. We told ourselves that we were in God's hands, but the feelings of why still persisted. The summer of 2018, a tumor was discovered by accident in Karen's lung. That was stage one lung cancer. The tumor was removed at MCR along with the upper left lobe of her lung. No chemo, no radiation, and from the day she was diagnosed with cancer to the day we were told she was cancer-free was less than 30 days. Forward now to 2020. A mass was accidentally discovered in my right kidney. Further tests were done and it was determined that it needed to come out, but they could probably save the kidney. Kidney tumors cannot be biopsied, so we had to wait and see. It turned out they couldn't save the kidney and it was cancer. As with Karen, no chemo, no radiation. But wait, there's more. During the scans on the kidney, something was seen in my heart that the docs didn't like, which led to further tests. Turns out I had a heart attack, never knew it, and had a clot on the wall of my left ventricle. Through modern medicine, the clot's gone, and my heart functions very satisfactorily for the docs. They told me to walk as much as I wanted, but no marathon. 
Both of us are still cancer-free and look forward to the next 100,000 miles. Are these blessings? Yes. Are they blessings, blessings from tithing? Don't know. I've been asked if any of our blessings may have been the result of tithing. Philosophically, I don't think we're meant to know, as that could potentially give somebody a calculable methodology of gain, a deal with God. I don't think so. I'll never know if our blessings are from, are from tithing until I meet Jesus face to face, but by then it won't matter. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Rich. You know, I love that story because it's filled with ups and downs, right? It's not like, oh, I tithe and I never had anything bad happen in my life, right? But there's a way in which you walk through life as a generous person and a trust that you have that's really powerful. All right? Well, we received the offering earlier. See? So you can relax. You can relax. All right, stand on up, everybody. Hey, listen, if you check the box on your Connect card to take that, that you're going to take that next step in your... Um, courageous generosity this summer. We're creating a group of people that I'm just going to like do some drops of hope. And, and we have a book that has been ordered. It's called I Like Giving. That's just kind of filled with some cool stuff. I'll be pulling some little lessons out of it. And we'll be doing that via video and putting it out there. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, that would be wonderful. Don't forget, we have root beer floats outside. I know we went long today. Thank you very much. We have root floats out there, but hopefully you have a moment for a blessing for the week. Open your arms up as they go and get ready to fill your hands with root floats, but let's fill our hearts uh, with this joy. So may love bless you and keep you this week as you enter into the sacredness of your week. As you encounter brokenhearted friends and family and acquaintances, may your compassion and courage to offer care and support. That's the wrong blessing. It's the wrong blessing. I'm giving you the wrong blessing. So I'm not going to give you that blessing. I'm going to give you a different one. Raise your hands up with me. May love hold you and keep you this week as you walk through the courageous and on the courageous path of generosity. And I pray that God would have guarded your heart and your mind against any kind of, uh, of, of feelings of manipulation or strategy around this principle. And I pray that you would understand and believe deeply that as we talk about generosity, as we talk about giving and tithing here at Crossroads, we're not talking about making budgets, but we're talking about making disciples of Jesus, disciples that are grounded in the peacemaking path of Jesus, committed to doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. And so may today be filled with joy for you if you are a father. And if you are fatherless today, may you find peace and comfort in the care of those around you and in the living Jesus. Amen. Have a great week, everyone.